Hello, and welcome to the Modern Goat Rider podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to emphasise the opinions expressed by our hosts and guests are strictly their own, and do not represent the positions of any lodge, grand lodge, or other branches of the independent order of Oddfellows. Our fascinating conversations will be open to the public for the purposes of inspiring our global membership and promoting the order. So, sit back, open your ears, and your heart in your hand, while I introduce you to our hosts. podcast i'm billy sanderson and i'm josh miller how are you today josh i'm flt terrific fantastic another sunny day in victoria beautiful day yeah just a lovely one yeah we're lucky here in uh the studio tonight we have a past grandmaster and a past oh i gotta do that again and a past patriarch past grand patriarch we'll edit all this nice and neatly out <laughs> So we are joined by uh, Toby Hansen tonight. We're going to do a interview about encampment. And so Josh, you got anything? To go- yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, this guest is a bit of um, what I would call an odd father here in the uh, Pacific Northwest, or as we in Canada like to call it, the Pacific Southwest. <laughs> um, but we're, uh, we're very lucky to have Toby with us. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see what we what what unfolds in the next 45 to 48 and a half minutes. Well, thank you very much, brothers. I I gotta say, I I feel like I've hit the big time of Oddfellows podcasting now that I'm on Modern Coat Rider. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we have to say, Toby is uh, the part of the triad of Sergio Ainsley and Toby for Three Links Oddcast. So this is our first official, although we had Ainsley on before he had joined uh, your podcast. We, um, here we are. We are doing a crossover. Yeah, it is great to be here. You know, I'm always happy to talk about uh, Odd Fellowship and all of the fun and wonderful things found within. Excellent. So Toby, why don't you start with a introduction, a little Odd Fellows bio for us and for the listener. Well, uh, Odd Fellowship started for me... 20 years ago, it was July 13th of 2000, I was initiated into Ballard Alki Lodge 170 in Seattle. And since that time, uh, I've risen quite rapidly, I would think, through the ranks of Odd Fellowship. Uh, In 2007, I was Grand Patriarch of the Grand Encampment of Washington. And in 2018, I was Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of Washington. And last year, uh, when we were in Winston-Salem, I was installed as the Sovereign Grand Musician of the Sovereign Grand Lodge of the Independent Order of Oddfellows. So in 20 years, I have accomplished quite a bit as an Oddfellow. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to go shooting up the org chart like that, but uh, it certainly happened to me, uh, whether I was expecting it or not, which uh, honestly, I, I never thought I would end up as someone who was quote-unquote important in the world of Odd Fellowship. It was just something fun to do twice a month. But the further I got into it, the more I realized that I could really get a lot more out of it at a higher level. Well, that's amazing. Um, So, Toby, with the uh, time in, I guess, Grand Lodge, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, Odd Fellows Grand Lodge, 
what was your uh, experience traveling around? Why don't you do give us a little bit of the taste of the Pacific Northwest? Southwest. Uh, yes, it's Northwest to us. And I, I have to share something with you. Brother Leroy Dyke, who belongs to Delta 21, uh, which is out in the Fraser Valley in British Columbia, he told me one time that whenever he crosses the border and comes into Washington and he's there in Whatcom County, he says, going from the metropolitan Vancouver area to Whatcom County is like driving back into the 19th century. And I said, well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. You got to remember, Whatcom County is America's back porch. You know, we, we don't fix it up for the neighbors or anything. So, yes, it's all dairy farms up there and uh, very rural and very charming, I think. I, I like it up in Whatcom County. So as Grand Master, Grand Lodge Washington, I had 27 lodges to visit in my jurisdiction. The expectation for a Grand Master is you're going to visit each lodge at least one time. I really worked hard to build a lot of relationships with the lodges that did not get a lot of visitations. Most of our odd fellowship in this state is concentrated in the Puget Sound area. That's where most of our remaining lodges are. And so central Washington in the mountains, eastern Washington in farm country, there are very few lodges left. And since you could be talking about a, a four to six hour drive from Puget Sound to get to some of those lodges in eastern Washington, they don't get a lot of attention. So I really made an effort to visit each and every one of the lodges. Uh, and some of them I was able to visit more than once. Uh, I also got to do some visitations out of my jurisdiction, although I have to say uh, I feel very bad that I did not get to do any visitations up in B.C. because uh, we usually try and go to the neighboring jurisdiction's Grand Lodge sessions, but the scheduling just never worked out with me. I was always busy working the weekend that the Grand Lodge of B.C. met. So I wasn't able to do that. But I had wonderful experiences going out and seeing the different ways in which Odd Fellowship is practiced. A small town rural lodge can be the center of community. It can be the place where everyone comes together and does all of the important things that happen in the town. Whereas if you go to a lodge in the suburbs or in the city, it can be an important part of its neighborhood, but generally there are a lot of other things going on in town, so it doesn't take on the same kind of central role that a small town lodge does. But I enjoyed all of the visitations very much, and I'm proud to say that one of my accomplishments was re-engaging with some of the lodges that didn't get a lot of attention in previous administrations. And we actually got a couple new lodges to show up with representatives at Grand Lodge who had not sent representatives in several years. So I was quite proud of that. And how is the, um, the, the Washington State um, Oddfellow community now, uh, years later? I mean, you've continued to push forward. Is it still progressing? Is it still growing? Is it still vibrant? Well, like anything else, we have been slowed down by the pandemic. However, we're very fortunate in our jurisdiction because at the same time as I took over as Grand Master in 2018, we got a new Grand Secretary who is absolutely dynamite. She is wonderful. It's Laurel Deloney, who is a two-time 
past grandmaster herself. And she she brought a huge amount of energy and enthusiasm to the job. So having her as grand secretary when I was grandmaster was kind of like a multiplier for my efforts because uh, we ended up taking groups from the Grand Lodge around to do things like installation of officers at lodges that had not had a Grand Lodge installation team for several years. We did a lot of degree events around the state where we were able to take a full degree team and do full dramatic initiation in three degrees. Um, and having Laurel helping out and coordinating that was just fantastic. So I think we have a very vibrant and growing jurisdiction here in Washington. And uh, I'm quite proud of that. I want to get to encampment, but I think before we do, for uh, especially for new members of Odd Fellows, and very much a learning tonight about encampment for myself, and and probably for Josh as well. But for new new people to the order, why don't we just do a quick run through a little uh, lodges 101? So when you're a member of, so this is kind of round table the three of us. So uh, okay, you're a member of a Odd Fellows Lodge. You are a member of a subordinate lodge, right? In 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 terms of the lodge levels, you progress through your degrees, you become your third degree, you can hold the, uh, an office or an appointed position, and you can become vice grand, noble grand, etc. Once you become noble grand, you become past grand, and you have the opportunity to join as a member of Grand Lodge. Everyone's nodding their head. I have that. Anything. Yeah, that's correct. Jurisdiction. So there are a couple lodge. They're called lodges that are, well, there was one that's called Degree Lodge, which mm -hmm. is slightly different. So, Toby, why don't you give us a, a rundown of what Degree Lodge is different to Subordinate Lodge? A Subordinate Lodge is the basic working unit of Odd Fellowship. That's the unit where you do all of your work as Odd Fellows. You join, you take your three degrees, you pay your dues, you do all of your charitable and community activities, and it's sort of the, the starting point for Odd Fellowship. Well, in the old days when lodges met once a week uh, and there were constantly people coming in and joining the lodge, if you were stopping to do degree work every week, you know, a well-done degree can take up to an hour if you do the full dramatic presentation with all of the costumes and everything. So the degree lodge was the answer to the question, how can we keep doing all of our regular business in a subordinate lodge and not have to constantly detour and put on degrees for all the members who are joining? Now, there in Victoria, uh, you brothers have a wonderful situation where you have three lodges, they're very popular, and you've got people who are constantly interested in joining. But it means that each lodge is having to stop, step away from their regular business that they're doing, and put on degrees. So what happened in areas where there was a lot of very fast growth of odd fellowship was degree lodges were chartered. A degree lodge is just like a subordinate lodge, only it exists for the sole purpose of conferring degrees. So instead of a noble grant, it's provided presided over by a degree captain. And there are other officers 
as befit the degrees. Degree lodges can perform the initiation and the three degrees of the regular Odd Fellows Lodge. And by having a degree lodge, it means the regular lodges can go ahead and do their business, and then everybody meets on a separate night of the week away from the business of the lodge just so they can confer the degrees and get new people in and up to speed. So that's what a degree lodge does. So then we have encampment, which is not a it is not similar to degree lodge. It is not similar to grand lodge. It is a branch. Correct. And the way to think of the uh, the structure of odd fellowship is I always think of it as layer cakes sitting next to one another. So we've got the subordinate lodge layer cake, which has subordinate lodge on the bottom, and the middle layer is grand lodge, the top layer is sovereign grand lodge. So all of your local lodges like Columbia number two, Ballard Alkine 170, uh, Buckley number 75, all of those lodges all belong to their local grand lodge. And usually grand lodges are organized based on a state or a province. Canada has something unique in that all of the Atlantic provinces share a Grand Lodge. So you have the Grand Lodge of the Atlantic provinces for New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, etc. Uh, but all of the other provinces have their own Grand Lodge, just like the states have Grand Lodges. And then each of those state or provincial level Grand Lodges sends representatives to the international body, which is the sovereign Grand Lodge. Well, that's the basic lodge layer cake. Sitting next to it on the shelf is the encampment layer cake, which is the same structure, basically. You have local or what used to be called subordinate encampments, and then you have a grand encampment at the state or provincial level, and then on top of that is the sovereign grand lodge. Because to the sovereign grand lodge, the grand lodge and grand encampment are both co-equal members of the Sovereign Grand Lodge. So, for example, as a past Grand Patriarch, although I did not choose to do this, as a past Grand Patriarch, I could have visited the Sovereign Grand Lodge uh, back in 2007-2008, because that's generally uh, the role for a past Grand Patriarch is to be a Grand Representative of the Grand Encampment at the Sovereign Grand Lodge. So for the encampment layer cake, you start with a local encampment, the grand encampment for your state or province, Sovereign Grand Lodge on top of that. Well, to a member, as you progress through Odd Fellowship, you move across the counter from cake to cake to cake. So first, you join your Odd Fellows Lodge. You get your three degrees. Once you're a third degree Odd Fellow, you are eligible to join an encampment. And it used to be that after you were a royal purple degree patriarch in your encampment, you could join the canton, which we haven't talked about yet. But I assume you'll probably ask about the canton here shortly. So for an individual member moving up, it's actually moving sideways on the counter from lodge to encampment to canton. That's a whole lot of lodges. I mean, that's there's that's a, a whole lot of meetings. And that's, um, you know, is are we finding... You know, these days, it's hard enough to get a member to come out to two meetings a month, Mm -hmm. let alone 
two meetings a month plus two more meetings a month plus two more meetings a month. Can you what? Why do we why do we need encampment or what? what I guess let's let's go back to the basics. When encampment was formed, what was the the real reason behind it? Well, the best way to understand the role of encampments in Odd Fellowship is to go back to the founding of Wildy Odd Fellowship in North America uh, in 1819. So Thomas Wildy comes to Baltimore. He says, I'm lonely. I don't have any friends here. I miss my lodge back home in London. So he finds four other odd fellows. They start Washington Lodge number one. Well, what happened after a certain amount of time was they realized that amongst them, once they had a lodge organization and it had grown and they had several members, there were more people then there were either A, leadership positions, or B, subordinate jobs to do in the lodge. So, for example, the finance committee was full, the recreation committee was full, the mutual aid committee was full. All of the officers in the lodge had been elected and appointed, and there were still some members who wanted to be active and do things as part of a higher structure of odd fellowship. So it started out informally as past grands getting together and meeting and talking about the more general case of odd fellowship. So instead of doing the day-to-day -day lodge business, providing relief to members, performing burial ceremonies, all of the sort of regular business that odd fellows lodges used to do, there was a place where you could get together and you could talk about the esoteric qualities of odd fellowship. You could talk about the symbolism. You could talk about the degrees. You could have in-depth study of those things. And you could get together and do some deeper learning and deeper activities about odd fellowship. Well, eventually, um, a brother came over from England and he brought the patriarchal degree with him. And uh, a couple of the original founders of Odd Fellowship, uh, they believe it was John Entwistle and Thomas Ridgely, but it was not specifically attributed. They wrote the other two degrees, the Patriarchal and Royal Purple degrees, and that became the encampment. And so in the 1830s, Jerusalem Encampment Number 1 was chartered in Baltimore. And the encampment sits above the regular lodge, in the sort of member's perspective of hierarchy, because you have to be an odd fellow to be in the encampment. So when the question comes up, why do we still need the encampment? I always say this. For the average member who likes to come to the hall, attend the dinners, sort of goes to lodge meetings informally, irregularly, uh, goes to some of the fun party events, but isn't overly active in the lodge, they're probably not going to be interested in getting deeper into Odd Fellowship, finding out more about the history, the traditions, the symbols, the signs, all of that kind of heritage that we have as an order. That's not going to be someone who joins the encampment. Someone who joins the encampment is going to be someone who wants to go deeper into Odd Fellowship who appreciates it not just for what it does, but for its intrinsic kind of values. You know, the idea that you really are doing something on sort of an esoteric or metaphysical uh, or special basis. 
So the encampment gives a whole structure above the lodge where you don't have to be distracted with the day-to-day -day business of the lodge. Because, again, traditionally, we used to meet every week, and there was a lot of business to do. The visitation committee would report on who they had visited, who was sick or in distress, and lodge members shared their troubles, and collections were taken up, and benefits were paid out, and rents were collected, and there was a lot of administrative business to do in the lodges. So they didn't have the time to sit down on a Thursday evening and say, well, what does the symbol of the bow and arrows really mean? Or what kind of esoteric lessons is Odd Fellowship teaching us? The encampments provided a place to do that. Well, in the modern era, our lodges are not as busy. They generally meet twice a month instead of every week. Uh, although we do have one lodge in Washington that still meets weekly. And that twice a week, you know, we do a little bit of business. The meetings are generally an hour. They're not too much longer than that. But you still don't have a lot of time to sit around and really dig into the deeper meaning of Odd Fellowship. The encampment is the place to do that. I call it the think tank of Odd Fellowship. Generally, an encampment draws members from various different lodges in an area. So... Victoria is a good example of this. You have three lodges that are meeting regularly, and they're all meeting at different times. So someone who needed to coordinate something between the three lodges could go and attend all three of those different meetings. Or if you had the most active members in each of those individual lodges join one encampment in Victoria then you've got your coordinating body that allows multiple lodges to get in and do something together using the encampment as a coordinating body. For example, here in Washington, we have, I think, five encampments currently. And the encampments tend to be centered in geographical areas that have several lodges around them. So the encampment in Kent draws members from Kent and Des Moines, uh, the encampment in Olympia draws members from all over southwestern Washington. They all drive to Olympia for their encampment meetings. Uh, my encampment in Buckley, we draw all the odd fellows from Pierce County and South King County. So it gives a place for multiple members of different lodges to come together and meet and uh, do some things you can't ordinarily do in a regular lodge meeting. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of <laughs> sense. So, I, my one for my first one, one of my questions is though, is like once you have encampment, do you just create this like two-tiered level of odd fellowship where you're kind of leaving some people behind? Like I always feel mm -hmm. the teachings and some of the esoteric symbolism, all the stuff you're talking about that happens within encampment, it should be done within the the group lodge. Like like obviously now we don't have as much administrative work to do, so. And the way that sort of I enjoy the lodge is we do get every once in a while, we do get Billy to come up and tell us about some symbolism, or we would get an older gentleman to tell us some history of the lodge and kind of bringing even bringing along those, those members who maybe don't necessarily want to learn or go deeper, but they have to because they're part mm -hmm. of this order and they need to, they need to, I want them to. So by creating encampment, all of a sudden we've got this, this think tank. And I like the idea. I think it's a, you know, it's a great way for, for members to get together and kind of, you know, share ideas. And, I, and I, I, my next question kind of 
delves into if we were to create an encampment. But part of me wants to say, hey, you know, if you're just here for the good times and not the not the full times, what are you doing here? Well, that's a good question. Now, not everyone is truly going to be interested in learning all of the minutiae of the encampment. Uh, I was fortunate that in 1977, past Grand Patriarch Donald Horning from the Tri-Cities wrote an, an exhaustive history of the Grand Encampment of Washington, which included all of this information about the founding of the first encampment back in Baltimore. Now, I really love the history of Odd Fellowship, and I, I love the symbolism and everything that goes with it. So for me, it was a natural thing that I was interested in that I wanted to do. But of course, not everybody is interested in that. Just like some people would say, I go out and do volunteer work. Why do I have to pay to join a lodge to do what I already do? Well, you don't have to pay to join a lodge. If you join a lodge and make an investment in that lodge by paying, you get more than what you can do on your own. You get to be part of a whole community of people who can work together for something like that. So just as an individual odd fellow may say, why do I need to join the encampment? Well, if you're really interested in the history, if you're interested in the background, uh, if you want to know more about all of this stuff, the encampment is the place you can go and really actively learn about that. Sometimes we can get those presentations in lodges. And here's a very effective recruiting technique for your encampments out there. One thing that used to be very common, because all encampment members, all patriarchs and matriarchs, are also odd fellows. The patriarchs used to go and visit lodges wearing their encampment regalia, their purple collars, their purple fezes, and they would do special presentations to the lodge during good of the order. So just as you're talking about, sometimes you get Brother Billy to get up and talk about the bow and arrows or the bundle of sticks or some of the other symbols of Odd Fellowship. Encampments used to do that. They would go to the lodge and say, we have something very special for you. We have a deeper, richer Odd Fellows experience that you can be a part of. And this is an example of what we do. And so they would talk about uh, the encampments and give an example of what the encampments do. Now, in the contemporary world, some encampments, just like some lodges, are basically moribund. Uh, there was one encampment here in Washington where the extent of their activity was going in, doing the opening and closing ritual, not contracting any business, and then shutting down as quickly as possible so they could eat ice cream and play cribbage. <laughs> okay, that's one thing to do, but uh, I've always been fortunate to be attached to encampments that were active and were doing a lot of good things. Um, in my home lodge, Ballard Alki, it was the most senior and respected odd fellows who were members of the encampment. And I remember being filled with a sense of reverence after meetings when they would be discussing what was happening at the upcoming encampment meeting. And I, I had that experience and said, wow, this seems very profound and I want to be a part of it. So I joined the encampment. And I can say that the encampment degrees are incredibly cool. If you think the regular degrees of Odd Fellowship are good, the encampment degrees, I think, could be some of the best degrees in all of fraternalism. They are very vibrant. They are very involved. 
it takes some serious dedication and rehearsal to put on the encampment degree as well. But when they are well done, they are amazing. I, I love the degree work in the encampment. Get to wear a fez, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's another of my, my favorite parts of the encampment is we all wear fezes. Now, I've heard some encampments on the East Coast have skipped the fez. They don't do it anymore. But uh, definitely in the Northwest, we have our fezes in the encampment. I, I have my past Grand Patriarch's fez, uh, and it's purple with white rhinestones on it. It's pretty special. So you've touched on a lot of things that I think are very special about encampment. And it's possible that encampment has received a certain level of publicity in the Victoria area uh, that isn't all that positive. So as we've built, built up uh, new members, you know, we, we really haven't, Ex uh, my opinion is we haven't exposed members to every branch or to everything. We've, we've really tried hard to keep them as steady uh, contributors to the subordinate lodge, to our local lodge, and to make sure that their limited valuable time is pushed into or they volunteer it into uh, our activities and our efforts and so forth. And so to be growing and to be at 80 or 90 members that is that is what we want. We want to have that no matter what time of the year, the meeting, there's 40 or 50 people at the meeting. I joined not too long ago and there was there were times where there was 18 members at a Columbia meeting and it was pretty thin considering how many people we had as members, but we've changed all that recently. And so it, as encampment as a threat to the subordinate lodge, it should not be. One of the things I see about the growing lodge is do you do you grow to a point where you create another lodge or so that there's opportunities for people to continue to to seek leadership and so forth? Um, you know, another set of, of uh, offices and appointed positions and another legacy of past grants to create in a new lodge. Or is it something like encampment that is refined and that is, as Toby has put it, you know, focused on higher level of odd fellowship one of the things you haven't talked about was leadership because I think uh, leadership in, in this, in the subordinate lodge is limited uh, because we are uh, doing, we're doing events and so forth. But if suddenly there's, you know, three lodges and there's 50 events in the hall in a year, um, there's no other events you can hold. So you, you kind of have to find out leadership opportunities other ways. So is encampment, here's my question finally, is encampment a leadership opportunity or in encampment? Can you have leadership without being uh, in a chair or something like that? Absolutely. Encampments meet once a month. So it's not as big of a time commitment as the regular lodge. And that's by design because the encampment was never meant to be something that would take people away from the subordinate lodge. The idea is you want it to be an enhancement of the experience. And so where you're at specifically uh, in Victoria, you have three very active lodges in your building. Having an encampment would give a fourth leadership path to anyone who's already a member of one of those lodges. Because as you say, 
a lodge only has so many officers and you can only do so many events. Well, by having an extra meeting a month where members of the various other lodges that meet there can go to an encampment meeting, you get the same kind of experience working through the chairs of an encampment as you do in a lodge. Uh, because there's a chief patriarch who is the presiding officer, a senior warden, a junior warden, and a high priest or priestess. Those are all elected positions. And that's one thing that's different about the encampment. Because it is a more esoteric branch, the members elect the high priest or high priestess because it is believed to be important in the encampment that the kind of moral or ethical leadership that comes from that position should be chosen by the members of that encampment. And then there are a number of other appointed positions. There's a scribe who does the job of secretary, a financial scribe, uh, there's a treasurer, there are guardians of the tent, there are first and second watches, um, inside and outside sentinel. So all very familiar offices to anyone who's already an Odd Fellow because they generally have a counterpart in the Odd Fellows Lodge. For a situation like you have in British Columbia, you only have one encampment, and it sort of travels around the Fraser Valley. And you don't have a grand encampment right now. It takes three encampments to have a grand encampment. So assuming you were able to, say, establish an encampment in Victoria and one in Vancouver, that gives you the requisite three encampments to have a grand encampment of British Columbia, at which point you get to elect a whole new group of grand officers for your grand encampment who get the kind of experience that currently can only be gained by serving in the Grand Lodge of British Columbia. So if you're wanting to really accelerate the training of leaders in Odd Fellowship, specifically in BC, if you could start two new encampments and get your grand encampment going again, that would give you a whole nother set of people with overall leadership experience at the provincial level. In addition to that, it would also give you an additional grand representative to the Sovereign Grand Lodge, because right now you have representation for the Grand Lodge of British Columbia. You could also have a representative from the Grand Encampment of British Columbia. Two questions. First off, really quickly, do you think um, encampment is about um, progress or is it about maintaining history? It's all about who the members of the encampment are. I am absolutely certain that just like there are some lodges that are basically moribund and they show up twice a month, open, do a little business, close, go home, and never look outside of the walls of their own building... There are encampments like that, but I have been very fortunate um, being active in encampments here in Washington and visiting other encampments in Oregon and in Idaho. There is a lot of dynamic leadership that's going on in those encampments. And the, the, the sort of overall structure of the encampment is that it's intended to be the patriarchs of Odd Fellowship, the long-serving 
wise members who can come in and mentor new members in sort of the organizational operations and the spirit of odd fellowship. And what I have seen both here in Washington and the neighboring jurisdictions is a lot of that is happening in the encampments. Uh, that's certainly how I came up. I served as Grand Patriarch first and learned what it was like to work at the statewide level in the encampment before I ever had any thoughts about doing the same in the Grand Lodge. And so uh, for a jurisdiction like yours that doesn't have a Grand Encampment, there's really only one way to learn at that level, which is jump into the Grand Lodge with both feet and see what happens. So I would say, given the groups that we have here in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, the encampments are very much progressive. They're, they're very much about building for the future and trying to rediscover a lot of what has been lost in Odd Fellowship as we made it more expedient through the years. Fantastic, great answer. Um, my other question is, if we were to rebuild an encampment in Victoria, is there a roadmap or is there um, someone who could, or a group that would be there to assist us in creating it? Obviously in Columbia, we've got a huge gap. So mm -hmm. we've got, you know, we have, we have maybe three older gentlemen and then me, you know, and my, my age group who've been around for 10 to 15 years, but never really got mentored as much. There was no, like, I'm surprised if there was an encampment in Victoria, why wasn't I asked to join? right? As a leader, as a young leader who went through my degrees and was ready to learn more, I was never brought in. I was never asked. I was never shown what encampment was. And that would seem to be perfect for me. So in this case, we've, you know, it's the leader is me and, you know, my age group, but we don't have a lot of experience within that branch. How would we move forward in that? And could we create a man on the street segment at each episode of modern goat rider about <laughs> rebuilding the encampment in victoria <laughs> well there is a roadmap uh, as a matter of fact i don't know if you've ever heard of the book pioneer links uh it was written by past grandmaster h.e holmes of washington in 1880 and it covered the origin story of odd fellowship in the pacific northwest or the southwest to you guys and it talks about the chartering of the first lodge in Victoria and the first encampment in Victoria. I'd have to go get the book off my bookshelf, look up the name and number. But there is actually a, a way for expanding the encampment into new territory. Uh, what you would do is you would get uh, a group of odd fellows together to fill out a petition and send it to Terry Barrett at the Sovereign Grand Lodge requesting a new encampment in Victoria. Terry Barrett will then call an encampment in a neighboring jurisdiction, probably Washington, and he will say, Grand Encampment of Washington, would you put together a team to go to Victoria and start a new encampment? And I would readily volunteer for that because uh, weekend getaway in Victoria, I'm always down for that. And then we would put together a degree staff, get some information together, arrange with your local lodge in Victoria, and then we would come up, put on the encampment degrees, and walk you through the process of 
electing your first officers for the encampment, and then setting up the organizational structure for it. And then the next step would depend on whatever else happens. Now, technically, you, since you have one encampment in British Columbia, they should probably be attached to a neighboring jurisdiction. But everybody kind of overlooked that as the Grand Encampment of British Columbia was quietly put to sleep many years ago. So they pretty much operate on their own with no direct supervision. Well, if you get an encampment going in Victoria, and then you're able to get an encampment going in Vancouver, well, then you have three encampments in the same jurisdiction. You can petition Sovereign Grand Lodge again and get a grand encampment of British Columbia. And uh, hopefully they've kept the charter somewhere and they can just dust it off and give it back to you. And then you can hang it in the office of whoever your grand scribe would be. So there is a path. And uh, if you have interest in the encampment branch uh, there in Victoria, I am absolutely dedicated. I will help you brothers to make that happen. Um, given the strong interest you have in Odd Fellowship in Victoria, I think an encampment would probably go over pretty well there, especially since you are starting with a clean slate. You wouldn't be necessarily taking over an older encampment that still had a couple of old members who were really resistant to anything new happening. Uh, you would be starting with a fresh, clean, new encampment. And I'm sure that Los Angeles Fraternal Supply would love to get an order for 20 fezes. They would love that. Okay. So, Toby, um, just recap the uh, it's third degree. Mm -hmm. And as you pointed out, you were saying may maybe you were referencing history more so than that being the most uh, senior or wise of odd fellows. And in modern times, we process our odd fellows pretty quickly through degree. Mm -hmm. So is there, there is there a minimum number of years that uh, a person would move to an encampment uh, members, a number of years as an odd fellow or something like that? Or Do you have to be a member of the Grand Lodge to be in encampment? No, you only have to be a third degree odd fellow in good standing to join an encampment. So you, if you just took your third degree last Thursday and you're ready to fill out an encampment application, you can fill it out and apply to your local encampment. Right. And then be interviewed and similar process to a new member to a lodge. Exactly the same process. Okay. That's a lot to digest. Um, what do yes. you, what do you think about Patriarch Militant? No, just kidding. Don't, don't talk about <laughs> it. Maybe another, for another, another five episodes on that. Yeah. Yes. Let me go get my sword and show you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, my mind has been changed about encampment just, um, you know, through a little bit of research and, and the fact that, you know, if we could get a brain trust of the three lodges within Victoria to come together to create something that's for the good, you know, for the good of the order and um, moving forward in odd fellowship in Victoria, it could be kind of interesting. And it might be a good way for our lodges to help each other. You know, like we could get some of those older guys from the other, from Victoria one to kind of bridge the gap that we're kind of missing, you know, in Columbia lodge number two. Yeah. A sh I, I agree. I, I like the idea of sharing and I, I'm more sold on it. I think that the fear, you brought the question up about progressiveness and, and that was a fear that 
is that it's this it it becomes this crusty old person place that believes they have some uh her, you know they've lived long enough and they've been odd fellows long enough that they should be able to impose opinion more so on the odd fellows of the younger odd fellows or the newer guys and and if the encampment is progressive and the odd fellows uh that are being pushed or moving into it are looking for pro progress and looking for improvement i think it works it looks great it works great on paper it's when one becomes stagnant Yes. And that you have the, the, the slowing down or the less progressive encampment getting kind of then turned and looked at and go, well, do you really want to join encampment when, it, when they're operating like that? Yeah. Or if, you know, somebody's got a limited number of hours that they can be an odd fellow and you're actually cannibalizing your subordinate lodge for, for encampment hours. I, I don't think they would join encampment. If they only if they only had a couple hours of odd fellowship and they just decided, well, this is more my style in Canada yeah, rather well, than the subordinate lodge. Yeah, and that's a an idea of like a Masonic traditional observance lodge or something like that, mm -hmm. where they're they're just looking at the old way of doing it, but with young minds and all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think people, well, I, I agree, people are going to go where they feel most comfortable and where it is the easiest for them, right? Because they're they're comfortable mm -hmm. with the people. It's not a lot of stress on their lives but i'm not sure you would be like you wouldn't be taking i can think of three members right now that are all striving leaders in our lodge who would not join encampment yeah and they would be totally safe in colombia and and love to be in colombia just like us the rest of our lives. do you think it's because they they don't have more time or because they just don't want to go to the next level because i felt that way about not going to the next level maybe maybe focusing solely on my subordinate lodge make sure that is so solid and so strong that i wouldn't want to go to the next lodge but after you know if you think about it you start to you know if i start to sell it yeah and if you sold it as listen it's not a, a group that you're you're not migrating away from you're joining a group there people join are coming in so you have a columbia you have a victoria you have bastion and mm -hmm. you're and you have a compelling group to I join so. yeah and it's not you're leaving Colombia and you're never out in Colombia ever again. You, you're still in Colombia. You're still a member of Colombia. Um, and that just, I think that would fit a small group of people. And that's why there's five encampments in all of Oregon, of, of all Washington. Washington state. Yeah. And I think at one time there was two encampments on Vancouver Island and, and that was it amongst yeah. all the lodges on Vancouver Island, right? Cause they were lodges all the way up the Island for ages so maybe there was a central island one and there was a south island one but if it's repeating myself if it's progressive you'll have progressive people go mm -hmm. if it is adding more value to the three people mm -hmm. um you know like he's going to that person is going to be focused wherever they their value is the best and it's received and used and reciprocated back to them they gain so is it encampment I don't know if it is for him, but you know, all it takes is five from our lodge. Sure. Five from another lodge, five from another lodge. We have an encampment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that seems to be like, you know, I mean, if you have a working group, you don't want, I mean, I could imagine that in the heyday of odd fellowship, you know, after, you know, you get through your three degrees, your next step really is to move into encampment. Were those encampment lodges, did they get quite large or were they ever? Oh, yes. 
uh, encampments, uh, because there was generally, like in a city like Seattle, there were at one time, I believe, 16 odd fellow lodges in Seattle and two encampments. So they were really drawing for that next level of odd fellowship from all of the lodges around them. So, for example, if you were free on the first Monday, you would go to Unity Encampment Number 2, which met at the old Pine Street Temple on Capitol Hill. Uh, whereas, if you were free on the third Thursday, you would go to the Ballard Encampment Number 76, which met out in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle, uh, where my home lodge is. So, you were drawing from all of the lodges in the area. There used to be a lot of lodges in Seattle that met on the north side of the ship canal. Those members would be part of the Ballard encampment because it meant not having to go downtown. And it's the same idea. At one time, the largest encampment in the entire world with over 1,000 members was in Spokane, Washington. And that was just after World War One. Uh, when a number of encampments in northeastern Washington state said, we will do better if we consolidate and all join unique number 32 in Spokane. And that encampment still exists. They are still a very active encampment. They still do a lot. And that is now the encampment for all of the Odd Fellows in eastern Washington. If they want to do encampment activities, they go into Spokane once a month and do their activities there. Uh, so encampments could get quite large. Um, and in some areas, um, particularly larger cities back east, uh, you would have three or four encampments in a city depending on what night the lodges met and when members were available to come to encampment meetings. So as an odd fellow, you can go to any odd fellow meeting, any lodge, tell them you're, you announce that you're visiting and you can go. How is it that you can test drive encampment as just an odd fellow? Well, to go to an encampment meeting, you have to be a patriarch. However, um, what a lot of encampments will do as an enticement and as a way of demonstrating what the encampment does is they'll do the same thing that an odd fellows lodge will do when they have a non-member who's a visitor. And that is they'll do an open meeting. So they'll go through, do all of the things that normally happen in a meeting, but there won't be signs, there won't be passwords, there won't be grips, there won't be any of the, the secret work used. And that's something that encampments do on a fairly regular basis when the odd fellows in their area are interested in being part of the encampment and interacting and trying it out. Yeah, I think it might be a time for a modern goat rider to get on the road and have to do oh. doing some remote um remote work as soon as we can load up the rv we're heading out the door it's going to <laughs> yes be yeah as gonna... soon as as soon as we're allowed to visit washington state uh we're going to be all up in that uh checking but all that out to come here first because he was all planning he yes to, to join a bastion meeting i was going to go meet him yeah it's gonna be i know i know <laughs> and then covid strikes and um you know all we've got are these uh, zoom meetings but yeah, amazing to connect with you as always, Toby. Thank you so much. Toby. Well, thank you. And one thing uh, that I would mention for you, specifically since you are on Vancouver Island, um, one of the most wonderful and unique lodges in all of Odd Fellowship is right on your doorstep. Uh, that's Mount Constitution number 88, which is on Orcas Island in the San Juans. 
So if you have never visited there, that is one of my absolute favorite lodges to visit because you go in there and it's rare that they have fewer than 20 members at a meeting. And they are so dedicated. They are some of the hardest working odd fellows I have ever met. And there's so much that they do in their community. They are wonderful, wonderful odd fellows. And as the crow flies, they are so close to you. Now, of course, it's a little tricky getting to Orcas Island from Vancouver Island because you you got to take the ferry from Sydney, go to Friday Harbor, change boats, and go up to Orcas Island. But when I was going to come and visit you guys in the spring, uh, I was going to start by going to Mount Constitution 88 on Orcas Island and visiting them and then going over to Vancouver Island, visiting the lodges there. And then I was going to go over to the lower mainland and do some visiting up there. But of course, COVID canceled all of that for me. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I'm, I, I love the San Juans. Um, I haven't been to Orcas Island, but that sounds like a great excuse to go. Yeah, great excuse. Yeah, they are so, so welcoming to visiting Oddfellows there. Uh, they would love to have any of you from Victoria that could make the trip out there. Great. Toby, uh, do you have anything? Uh, we give everybody an opportunity to plug whatever they like to plug, and I know you'll plug three links, but what else you got going on? Well, of course, uh, we are the Three Links Oddcast, and... Uh, Like yourselves, we were so inspired and had so much downtime because of the pandemic, we decided to start doing our own podcast. And we are all so excited about what you're doing and impressed with it. Modern Goat Rider is excellent. And the more you guys do, the more we do, the more it raises the overall level of media for Oddfellows, which is something we really need. On a personal level, since I'm the Sovereign Grand Musician, Uh, I've been doing Wednesday evening concerts on Facebook uh, where I try and get as many members from different lodges around the world to tune in and watch the concerts. And uh, a couple months ago, I was doing a concert and actually had members from Brazil Lodge Number 1, the lodge that was just chartered down in Brazil, uh, they actually tuned in and commented on the concert. So Wednesday evenings... At 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern, uh, I do a live streaming concert on Facebook. Uh, Just look up Toby Hansen, uh, and you can find my page on Facebook. You can look up my concerts. And, uh, of course, I myself have produced many recordings and things like that. So if you go on YouTube and look for Toby Hansen, you can find all of my recordings and things like that on there because... In real life, I am actually a professional musician, and normally I'm producing a bunch of content myself. Thank great. you, Toby. That was Thanks, awesome. Toby. Thank you very much, brothers. This has been wonderful. Take care. Have a great night. You too. Well, that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening, and thanks for Toby for a great interview. If you like our show, then please like us where you download podcasts. And check out our Facebook page at Modern Goat Rider on Oddfellows Podcast. Josh and I will be back again soon with another episode making Oddfellows discoveries and seeing the Oddfellowship all around us. Cheers, NFLT.